Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be studying meditation and helping you to develop your practice. Because we just recently restarted our group learning program where students are studying in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. We're going chapter by chapter in this book in order to help people learn and practice Gautama Buddha's teachings on this path to enlightenment. And so far, we've only had maybe one or two classes, so you can actually jump right on board here and start to learn and practice these teachings because each Sunday and Wednesday at 9 o'clock Thai time, we meet in order to learn and practice the teachings of Gautama Buddha. On Sundays, we have a full-out talk on specific teachings of the Buddha, opening up for questions at various times and helping you to understand this life practice that Gautama Buddha laid out for us on the path to enlightenment. And then on Wednesdays, we spend time learning meditation, breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, and also Buddhist chanting. Well, since we just started and people are just starting to learn with me, the new students, I thought what I would do is spend this month sharing only breathing mindfulness meditation, which is the primary meditation that you need in order to attain this mental state of enlightenment. And for the next three or four Wednesdays, we're just going to be focused on breathing mindfulness meditation. And today I'm going to be teaching you the methods of how to do that. And by the time we finish today, we're going to actually do a breathing mindfulness meditation session and have questions throughout our talk today. And then on our subsequent Wednesdays, we're going to just be doing breathing mindfulness meditation and taking questions so that essentially over the next few weeks, you are using these classes in order to build up your meditation practice so that you can be meditating at home each day and getting the mind under training with the style of meditation that Gautama Buddha taught as the primary method to eliminate discontent feelings, eliminating sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy, resentment. All of these discontent feelings in the mind can be eliminated through learning and practicing the teachings on this path to enlightenment where eventually, as the mind gradually trains more and more, it becomes peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. But in order to get there, you need to learn the teachings of the Buddha 
You need to reflect on those so that you can see the truth. Then you need to practice them to build this wisdom so that you can see that the condition of the mind is gradually improving from this or maybe angered or frustrated or however strong of emotions that you have down to a point where the same situations can be happening, but the mind doesn't experience any discontentedness whatsoever. And this is how you know that you're progressing on the path because you see these gradual improvements in the condition of the mind. You wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment just purely through meditation. Meditating alone isn't going to allow someone to attain enlightenment. They need the teachings of the Buddha in order to learn and practice those so that you discover more and more wisdom of the teachings and you can be practicing that on a daily basis. So you wouldn't be able to just meditate your way to enlightenment. You know, there's a lot of people in the world that just meditate, meditate, meditate. And that's great that they're meditating, but there's a whole nother piece to this puzzle of unlocking and untangling this unenlightened mind to become enlightened. So you wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment purely through meditation, but you also wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment without meditation. Meditation is an important aspect of the path, but it's only a certain aspect of the path. It is something that we do on a daily basis. It's something that you need to learn, refine, understand, get really, really good at, and progress with your meditation practice. But there's a whole lot more as well. So we started uncovering that on Sunday. This past Sunday, we did a talk on the first two steps of the Eightfold Path, which comprise the wisdom aspect of Gautama Buddha's path to enlightenment. And then this Sunday coming up, we will do the next section, which is the moral conduct. And then the following Sunday will be the mental discipline which meditation falls into the mental discipline. And today, what I plan to do is walk you through some teachings from the Buddha using his actual words, and then also expanding upon that and giving you the real practical understanding of what you need to know in order to practice meditation on a daily basis. And just like always, as you have questions, you can put those into the comment section of Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. If you'd like to ask a question or follow-up question directly, you can just raise your hand in Zoom. There's an electronic way to raise your hand, and our moderator, James or Bassam, will be able to unmute you in order to ensure that you get your question asked and answered during class. So thank you for joining. I'm really pleased to see that you've decided to make learning and practicing Gautama Buddha's teachings an important part of your life because the more that you learn and practice these teachings, the condition of your mind in your life is just going to gradually improve. And by you improving your life, the life of those close to you and all of humanity is just going to gradually improve more and more and more. So with that said, let's go ahead and get started with what it is that I plan to share today. The first thing that I would like to start with is sharing some of Gautama Buddha's words, because as you've heard me say in the group learning program, 
if you've read any of the book that I've shared so far in the preface of the book, you saw where I share, don't believe me about anything. It's important that you never, ever, ever believe me and that you don't believe Gautama Buddha because belief isn't going to lead to enlightenment. What you need to do is learn, reflect on those teachings, and then practice them to see that they're truth. So rather than you even believing me that Gautama Buddha even taught meditation, I know as common as of an understanding as that is, that Gautama Buddha did indeed teach meditation as part of his path to enlightenment, I'm not even interested in you believing me that Gautama Buddha actually taught meditation. So right here in our first session to learn and practice meditation, I'm just gonna bring in a few of his words to help you see that yes, indeed, Gautama Buddha did teach meditation and it is part of his path and a very important part of his path. So here I've got a couple of little extracts that I pulled out from his teachings of meditation. And I've got an entire book here that includes Gautama Buddha's teachings that are extracted from the Pali Canon that have his teachings on meditation. But here's just a few extracts of things that I've seen in different parts of the Pali Canon, not just in this book alone. This first quote is, meditate bhikkhus. Bhikkhus are the ordained practitioners, the male ordained practitioners. So you can think of this as student. So meditate students, do not be negligent, lest you will regret it later. This is my instruction to you. Because remember, the unenlightened mind is very discontent. It's going to experience this sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, guilt, loneliness, fears, resentment, jealousy, shyness. All of these discontent feelings are being experienced in the mind. And if somebody didn't meditate, they're going to experience that their entire life. And there's no other way that I know of to eliminate these feelings from the mind. It's only learning and practicing these teachings that I know of that one can come to the realization and the attainment of completely having eliminated discontent feelings. So what he's sharing here, in my view, is meditate students, don't be negligent, don't be complacent, don't be lazy, you know, don't give in to all the temptations of life and ensure that you make meditation part of your daily life. It's very important. Gautama Buddha meditated three times a day, morning, midday, and evening. So don't be negligent. Don't be complacent. Don't just sit back and think, ah, I meditated yesterday. I'm not going to do it today. You know, work at it each day until it becomes just like taking a shower, just like brushing your teeth. You wouldn't probably even think about leaving your house without brushing your teeth. So be sure that each day you look at meditation in the same way that you brush your teeth and take a shower because you're taking care of the physical body and the health of the physical body. So you need to take care of the mind too. You're cleaning the body and you're cleaning your teeth. You need to clean the mind too. That's what meditation is all about. So don't be negligent. Don't be complacent, lest you will regret it later. 
when you're really angry and fierce and frustrated and or feeling guilty or lonely or bored you're going to regret if you haven't learned and meditated right and you haven't progressed in your practice and likewise if you get to the end of this life and you haven't attained enlightenment and there's rebirth you're going to regret it later the buddha never used fear guilt or shame to motivate people to learn and practice his teachings and i don't feel that this particular statement is that i don't feel that it is guilt shame or fear but if you were to look at all of Gautama buddha's teachings this is like the only time that i've ever really seen him kind of like kind of give a little bit of a nudge like hey you're gonna really regret this if you're negligent and he says you know this is my instruction to you and this is kind of as much nudging as you're going to get out of Gautama Buddha in a very kind and polite way of letting people know, meditate, meditate, meditate. This next quote, it's part of a longer teaching, but I just kind of truncated it to get the part to share with you guys here is he says, a pot without a stand is easy to tip over. The pot is the mind. The stand is your meditation practice. So a mind without meditation practice is easy to tip over. It's easy to become discontent. So if you're angry, frustrated, irritated, guilt, shame, fear, loneliness, boredom, all these discontent feelings that you've been having in your life, well, it makes complete sense if you haven't been on this path you haven't been learning, you haven't been practicing, that's okay, it's in the past. Now you're learning, now you're practicing, now you're starting to come into the truth so that you can rectify this situation. So when your mind gets tipped over, that's like discontentedness essentially, that is discontentedness essentially. So the pot is the mind, the stand is your meditation practice, and right now, depending on where you are in your practice, a little dowel rod as a stand and you're trying to balance this pot on it. Or you might just have a little twig or maybe you don't have anything at all. Maybe the, the mind is just floating by itself. But the idea is, is that the more you learn about meditation, the more you develop your practice day by day, maybe start with once a day, build up to twice a day, Eventually, if you would like to build up to three times a day, you can. Five or 10 minutes a session, and then you build up to you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes a session, and maybe even beyond. That makes that stand wider and wider and wider. So now the mind becomes more stable. And it's very difficult to tip over a pot that's on this really big, wide stand. But your stand becomes wider and wider through the more you learn about meditation and the more you practice it. And the beauty is, is that if you follow Gautama Buddha's path, there's really only two meditations that you actually need in order to progress on this path to enlightenment. There's a total of four that I teach, but the other two are kind of like specialized meditations that are only used in unique situations. But there's two that everybody needs. And Gautama Buddha makes this very clear in his teachings, that these two are the primary two that you need. And there's specific reasons why we use those two, which I'm going to explain today. 
So you don't need to run out and learn 50, 100, 200 different meditations. This can be the mind just craving and wanting more and more and more, just like it wants more and more and more money or more and more and more something else. It's also got craving in there for more and more and more meditation styles. But you can really just refine your practice down to these two that I'm going to share with you today. And then what that does is it frees up your ability to now deepen your practice. So instead of having this really wide, broad practice of 50, 100, 200 different meditations that you just know a little bit and that you just practice to a certain level of depth, you learn these two, which are actually quite simple and easy to learn. And then you can deepen them and really get a lot of benefit and a lot of results out of your meditation. And that's what it would mean to create this really wide, stable stand so that the pot isn't easy to tip over. And then this third one that I'll share here a little bit longer. Remember, bhikkhus is like students. So bhikkhus, there is one thing that when developed and cultivated leads exclusively to dischantment, to dispassion, to cessation, to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to nibbana. What is that one thing? Mindfulness of breathing. This is that one thing that when developed and cultivated leads exclusively to dischantment, to dispassion, to cessation, to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to nibbana. So let's look at this a little bit. One thing that you'll hear me talk about with meditation is meditation is all about cultivating the mind. There are certain qualities or certain aspects of the mind that you're going to be eliminating, and there are certain aspects and qualities that you're going to be cultivating. So that's what he's talking about here, that there's just this one thing when you develop your practice and you cultivate this practice, it leads exclusively to dischantment, cessation. All of these words to the same thing, which is the elimination of discontentedness. Dispassion and cessation is all about elimination of discontent feelings and the giving up where the mind's no longer holding on. Because the problem that we talked about in our last session, one of the significant problems in the unenlightened mind is it holds on. It has craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness where the mind wants to hold on. And what we're going to be doing is training the mind to let go, let go, let go. And through doing that, you'll see how the mind becomes more and more peaceful. So those first three words, disenchantment, dispassion, and cessation are all talking about the elimination of discontentedness through training the mind to let go. And then he comes in and he says, to peace. This is how I describe the enlightened mind. Peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And then he talks about direct knowledge. What direct knowledge is, is that you see it with your own eyes. Through your own experience. You don't believe me, like I say. You learn, you reflect, you practice, and you see the truth acquiring wisdom through direct knowledge. You see it directly with your eyes. 
that when you learn and you practice meditation, you do that daily, the first two, three, four, five days, you're going to already see some benefits. You turn that into three, four, five weeks, now you're really going to see some benefits. You see that improve to three, four, five months, now you really see some benefits. Three, four, five years, wow, you're well on your way at this point, right? So it's direct knowledge of seeing the truth for yourself. And it's through acquiring that wisdom through direct knowledge that it leads to enlightenment, nibbana, which is the same thing. Nibbana is just the Pali word to describe enlightenment. So this enlightened mental state that's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, what is that one thing that's going to lead to this peace, to this elimination of discontentedness? Mindfulness of breathing. I call this breathing mindfulness meditation. But here, the translator used mindfulness of breathing. We're going to talk about why it's called mindfulness of breathing or breathing mindfulness meditation, the same thing, right? And then he just repeats himself in the last paragraph or last sentence and just says, this is that one thing, right? When the Buddha talks about developing merit or wholesome karma, he actually lists things in his teachings about the level of quality of how you can produce good, wholesome results in your life. And he starts out and he talks about this really rich person who gives like 80,000 hectares of land, 80,000 of, you know, kilograms of gold, essentially 80 kilograms of silver, all of these riches and everything. And then he goes in and it kind of gets a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller. And he talks about someone who gives a hundred meals to people to eat in the morning, a hundred meals in the afternoon, a hundred meals in the evening. And it gets a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller. And then eventually the thing he says that has the highest quality impact to your life is if you do breathing mindfulness meditation. He says, if you do this just for the length of a finger snap, for the snap of a finger, essentially, he's saying this is the most beneficial thing that you could ever do for your life is learning and practicing breathing mindfulness meditation. So here, I'm not even interested in you believing me that Gautama Buddha taught what it is that I am going to teach you today. I was interested in showing you his exact words of what he's sharing so that you can see it with your own eyes, with direct knowledge, so that you know that for sure this is what he taught in terms of meditation and how important it is for your practice. So are there any questions here from Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom about what the Buddha is sharing here in these brief little sections of his teachings? We have no questions at this time, David. Okay. So let's move on to the next thing that I was planning to share with you, which are the meditation basics. Definition of what meditation is. That's really important as you're learning to understand what meditation is. And also we'll talk about what meditation isn't as well. The way that I define meditation is it's a technique actively used to train the mind to either eliminate 
and or cultivate various qualities of mind during dedicated, independent, purposeful training sessions. This is really important. Dedicated, independent, purposeful training sessions where you're eliminating certain aspects of the mind and you're cultivating various qualities of mind. So today, when we start talking about breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation and the other forms of meditation, I will show you very clearly what is it that you're eliminating from the mind and what is it that you're cultivating into the mind because it's very important that you see that. And this is done through a dedicated, independent, purposeful training session where you're actively training the mind. What some people have come to say nowadays is that, you know, I'm going to go walk the dog and meditate, or I'm going to go for a drive and meditate, or I'm going to go garden and meditate, or I'm going to go take a run and some exercise at the gym and meditate. Well, all of these things are wonderful. They're highly beneficial for your life, taking a walk or with the dog or taking a nice drive or going to the gym or taking a jog. These are all highly beneficial for the body and they even have a certain effect on the mind as well because you're improving the condition of the body. However, these things aren't meditation. They aren't a dedicated, independent, purposeful training session of the mind where you're working to actively eliminate or cultivate certain qualities in the mind. In fact, when the Buddha talked about meditation, he talked about going to the foot of a tree and he talked about sitting at the foot of a tree and only focusing on the breath, only focusing on the breath and that's it. And at other parts in his teachings, he talks about never attempting to try to do more than one thing at a time. The human mind can't actually do more than one thing at a time. It can't garden and meditate at the same time. It's humanly impossible for the mind to do more than one thing at a time. Now, most of us have been taught multitasking throughout our life, and we're taught to do three, four, five, six things at one time, and we think we're actually being productive by doing that. But we're not actually doing three, four, five, six things at a time. Because if I was talking on the phone to a friend, watching TV and eating a sandwich, the mind is actually rapidly cycling between each of those things one at a time. So I might be talking to my friend for three or four minutes, then I'm kind of paying attention to the TV for a few seconds or minutes, then I'm kind of eating a sandwich. And I'm doing all of these things one at a time, but the mind is rapidly cycling between those so quickly that the mind thinks that it's actually doing three things at one time, but it's really not. Because when if you've ever done this, When you hang up the phone, you know that you didn't really grasp and retain everything on that conversation. And you know the content on the television program, you didn't grasp and retain everything in that conversation or in that program. And also the sandwich, you might not even remember that you ate the sandwich because it came into the body so quickly and you just kind of uh, almost inhaled it as part of your mind rapidly cycling. And now you think you were more productive, but now your friend gets off the phone thinking that you weren't really as engaged. You didn't really get the content out of the TV program that you were looking for. 
Maybe your mind and your body doesn't feel as nourished because of the sandwich that you ate. So you weren't actually productive in accomplishing more things just because the mind was rapidly cycling. In fact, what you were doing is you were training the mind to be overactive. And what the Buddha teaches as part of his teachings, not only in meditation, but he teaches outside of meditation that you should only do one thing at a time. So if you're eating, you're eating. If you're walking, you're walking. If you're talking, you're talking. If you're watching TV, watch TV. Or any of these other things that we do. He teaches just to do one thing at a time because that's all the mind can ever do anyway. And by staying singularly focused like that, you start to develop what's called singleness of mind. And we're going to talk about this next week, not this Sunday, but next Sunday as part of right concentration, as part of this path to enlightenment, to fine tune the mind, you're developing singleness of mind, right? And meditation is where we're actively training the mind through this dedicated, independent, purposeful training session but if that's all you ever did was meditation, you're not going to get to enlightenment. You've got to maintain that singleness of mind outside of your meditation. And the way that you do that is you ensure that whenever you're doing things in daily life, that you're not allowing the mind to rapidly cycle and trick itself into thinking that you're actually doing more than one thing at a time because you're not. The mind's only ever doing one thing at a time. So don't ever try to rapidly cycle from one thing to the next. Just handle one thing at a time, maintain your focus, maintain your concentration. And then when that thing is done, you move to the next thing. Handle that thing. Make really good decisions with concentration and focus and clarity of mind, and then move to the next thing. And in doing so, you can bring forth all the wisdom in the mind and be making really good decisions in the present moment for these 10, 15, 20 minutes of whatever you're doing in a particular conversation or a particular activity. And then when you're done, you know that you haven't caused any harm, you've applied your wisdom, and you made some really good decisions. Now you can be done with it, and you can move on to the next thing. And then you can focus singularly on this and make some really good decisions, ensuring that you're not causing harm to other beings. And then you move on to the next thing and the next thing. And this is part of how you clean up your gamma, or you clean up the cause and effect action result, the results of your decisions from the past. Because if you've been trying to multitask your way through life, then maybe 80% of your decisions were good and wholesome and they turned out pretty good. But there's that 20% that you didn't have singleness of mind. You've made some unwholesome decisions and now harmful things are coming back to you. So in order to clean up your mind and clean up your life, you need to be making good, wholesome decisions all the time. And one of the ways you do this is through training the mind in a dedicated, independent, purposeful training session once, twice, three times a day where now you develop singleness of mind more and more and more and more, and you don't allow the mind to rapidly cycle from thing to thing to thing to thing in daily life, and you just stay focused on whatever it is that you're doing, and then you can bring forth all that wisdom in order to make good, wholesome decisions in your life. This is very key. 
if somebody was going to meditate their way to enlightenment or use meditation as a way to get to enlightenment, but they're associating running or jogging with meditation or gardening or driving or these other tasks. Well, if you think you're meditating while you're jogging, or if you think you're meditating while you're gardening, or if you think you're meditating while you're walking the dog, then where does the dedicated, independent, purposeful training session come in where you're training the mind with breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation? So that's why it's important to myth that you're actually meditating while you're doing some other activity. Again, those activities are helpful. They're important. They even have an effect on the mind, but they're not meditation. You wouldn't be able to jog your way to enlightenment. You wouldn't be able to walk your dog to enlightenment, right? You need some time for yourself for this dedicated, independent, purposeful training session. And that's how you're going to develop this concentration, this awareness of mind, and this singleness of mind where you can move closer and closer to just doing things one at a time with a lot of wisdom, focus, and clarity. So be sure you understand what we're talking about when I describe meditation. It's this active technique to train the mind to either eliminate or cultivate certain qualities in the mind through this dedicated, independent, purposeful training session. The next thing to share in terms of meditation basics is it's important to have a teacher. Nowadays, there's a lot of content all over the world, whether it's YouTube or books or podcasts or all of these things, even apps. These things are great to kind of help people get a foot in the door, so to speak, and start to become aware of the potential and that there are lots of people out there and lots of resources available to learn meditation. But it's important that you work together with a teacher. It doesn't have to be that you meet your teacher every day or every week or every two weeks, but you need to have some type of guidance where you can learn meditation from that teacher. You can go off and practice that and see the truth for yourself of whether that's working or not and see how much clarity you have based on what they shared with you. Maybe you only understood 50% of what they taught or 70% of what they taught and then you go away and practice it and maybe your results were only you know so 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 you need to be able to reach back to a teacher and say hey teacher I experienced this I experienced that I see where this makes sense but I'm not quite clear on this does this make sense to you help me here it is that you have to help me understand this also as you meditate and as you awaken the mind You're going to experience lots of different things along the path. No matter what I teach you today, there's going to be other things that you experience along this path in terms of meditation. And even if you reach out to me and just say, hey, David, I'm experiencing this. You know, how does that sound to you? And if you get back from me completely normal, just keep going. That can build some confidence and can confirm for you that you're on the right track. Whereas if you have nobody to reach out to, you can actually get yourself into some trouble. I've had some students contact me, various students that have been working for a year or two just with YouTube videos and various resources, and they've gotten themselves into a whole bunch of trouble in terms of how the mind's functioning because they never had somebody to reach out to and just say, hey, 
I'm experiencing this, that, or the other thing. And is it, or do you have any guidance on this or anything like that? So that's why I offer the Facebook group, the online classes, personal messages, as well as personal guidance that you can schedule appointments with me so that you can gain insight through these four different ways. And I also have in-person classes here in Thailand that you can attend as well. So there's all these different ways that you can interact with me and get help if you choose. And it's nice to be able to reach out to somebody when you're encountering certain challenges, or even if you just want to confirm that things are going decent for you, or you're experiencing something that you're not quite sure of, you have somebody to reach out to and get help with. The last thing here is just talking about the meditation positions. There's four different positions that Gautama Buddha gave us in order to practice meditation because he can't just give one because that's impermanent, right? If he just gave one meditation position, your body's not going to be able to stay in that same position all the time. So you're going to need these other positions. And there's certain things that I've discovered about these positions that are helpful and beneficial. And I know when to use them and when to employ them. And the only way that I got to that is through trial and error. And you're going to need to get to that same trial and error where you decide how these different positions either work for you in some situations or they don't work for you in other situations. And through that trial and error, you will come to an understanding of how these for you and you will have developed your practice because you'll know that, okay, if I'm experiencing this, I'll use this position. Or if I'm in this type of environment, I know that this works really well. And you will try these different positions in different settings, different environments, depending on the condition of the mind, you might play one or the other of these meditation positions. So let me give you some background about how I've used these meditation positions and what I've seen benefits. And then you can choose to employ them yourself in these same situations and see if they work for you in those situations. And don't be limited to what I share with you today, but let me just give you some insight and kind of pointers based on what I've observed. From what I've noticed is seating position tends to be kind of like your go-to meditation position. That's the kind of common one that the vast majority of the world goes to kind of as your go-to meditation position because it's easy, it's simple, it's right there available to you. You don't need anything. You can just sit down on the ground or sit on the floor, cross leg with maybe just too tight uh, so that you don't inhibit your circulation, but you just sit on the ground and boom, you can meditate without anything. And then there's certain people that can't meditate on the ground, so you might choose to meditate in a seat or a chair or something like that. What's important when you do seated meditation is that the body is comfortable, but it's not luxurious. If the body becomes luxurious, like say you're on a fluffy couch with lots of pillows and all these other things, then the body can become so luxurious that the mind actually turns off that the mind essentially is inaccessible because the body just becomes so comfortable. The way that I think about it is the body is the employee and the mind is the boss. 
And in order to get to the boss, you have to go through the employee. So in order to get to the mind, you have to go through the body. So we have to go through this employee to get to the boss. But if the employee is too comfortable and too lackadaisical, the to take you to see the boss, right? There's too much complacency there. So if the body becomes too luxurious, then the boss is kind of inaccessible because the body is, is, is just too luxurious, it's too comfortable. So what I suggest is that if you're either sitting in a chair or you're sitting on the floor, is that you elongate the spine and you engage the muscles this will keep the mind attentive. Whereas if you lean back up against a wall or you lean back up against a chair or you put all these pillows around you and all these fluffy cushions, you're just kind of asking for the mind to disengage at that point. So seated position is kind of like the go-to position. You would like to be comfortable, but not luxurious. And you can do that either sitting on the floor or in a chair. And there might be some other options too, like a bench or something like that. So you can use seated meditation. And this is a common one for people to learn in is the seated position. Then there's laying meditation where you lay on the floor. And you might lay on a yoga mat or you might just lay on a bamboo mat or flat on the floor. And in yoga, they call this shavasana, right? Where you just lay on the back you just relax the, the hands and arms out to the side and just relax the whole body in a laying posture. I've used this one in situations where maybe I've pulled a muscle in the back and I can't come to that upright position with the back. Or like when I was in a hospital and I had an IV hooked up to me and I was laying in a bed. There was no other way to do it. I damaged my legs so I couldn't cross my legs. So lying was really nice because I could do it in a hospital bed. Or there's been situations where I was interested to meditate and I've done plenty of meditation up to that point, but I just know that I'm too tired and I'm interested to meditate, but seated position isn't something that my body or my mind is interested in doing. So I'm just going to do lying meditation and if I happen to fall asleep, I'm fine with that. Because with lying meditation, there's a tendency to sometimes fall asleep. So if I incorporate that every once in a while, I know that I'm fine because I've already done a whole lot of other meditation to train the mind in my normal meditation sessions. So I use kind of lying meditation as a way to give the body a break if it's injured or if there's any soreness in the upper body. I use it uh, sometimes seated position because of the injury. Or if I'm even, uh, have already done seated meditation perhaps, practice and kind of preparing for bed, and then I lay down, if I go to close my eyes and I notice that I'm not really that sleepy, while I'm laying in bed, I will just close my eyes and just focus on the breath and use it as a way to calm the mind and just fall asleep. So if you already got a lot of other meditation developed and you use lying meditation every once in a while and you happen to fall asleep as part of that, that's okay. But don't make that your standard practice where every time you meditate, you're doing laying meditation and you always fall asleep because that's not the idea is like to always fall asleep. But this might be a position that you need depending on what's going on with the physical body.
I've used this in situations where my legs were a little bit sore. Maybe I've gone hiking, I've gone bike riding. Maybe I've been doing a lot of seated meditation and the lower body is just kind of sore. And the last thing I'm interested in doing is sitting to do meditation. And I'm not interested in maybe lying because I know that my mind is going to turn off and become inactive and maybe doze off and fall asleep. So I might employ standing meditation as a way to give the lower body a break and an extra way to engage and keep the mind active and attentive while I'm meditating is stand up and actually meditate. And you can actually rotate. You can go from seated to lying to standing as a way to maintain your meditation session for longer and longer periods of time. If you're noticing that you're seated for a while and your legs are starting to hurt, there's no reason why you can't just lay or stand or even move to walking, which we'll talk about next. So these positions can actually be used interchangeably as a way to give the body a break. Meditation in situations where I might have been waiting for a bus or I'm waiting for MV or a grocery store or something like this. Now, this isn't my go-to meditation, but if I've got my standard kind of morning, midday or evening, or I've got my morning and evening sessions, and that's kind of like my anchor points, what's wrong with catching two, three, four, five minutes, 10 minutes while you're waiting for a bus here or there, or you're standing in line? You know, when you get up in front of the counter at either the DMV or if you're going to an embassy for a visa or some other important thing, because when you're waiting in line, there's usually some important thing coming up and you would like to make sure you have clarity of mind. Well, if you're standing around in a line for a couple of hours or 30 minutes or so, a lot of people around you are probably pretty impatient. Line, you would like to make sure that you've got crispness, that you've got clarity of mind. So why not take a five, 10 minute meditation here and there while you're standing? So you can use it for that as well as in your standard practice to just to kind of break. Then there's walking meditation as well, where you actually keep the eyes open. You stare at the ground one meter in front of you and you slowly walk and transition the weight, just focusing about one or two meters in front of you. And this helps to train the mind to stay in the present moment. And this I've used in situations in the past where the last thing I was interested in doing was sitting, lying, or standing. The mind was just too overactive. There was a lot of activity in the mind. The last thing I was interested in doing was sitting. And I knew that before meditating. Or I even went to go sit. And I sat for five or 10 minutes and I just noticed how bombarded the mind was at that time with thoughts. So I said, rather than sit here or rather than try to force myself to sit, let me do walking meditation. And what I notice is when I do walking meditation, it helps the overactive mind to kind of calm down and ease down. And I could do that for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes and then maybe sit and do some seated lying or standing. Or in some cases, I would switch back and forth. I would do walking for a while, then do sitting. And then after sitting, and if I feel a little bit of pain somewhere or I just feel like I need to get up, then I would go back to walking. And you can do this as a way of interchanging your meditation positions and keeping the mind engaged. 
during your meditation. Because one of the things that can happen is as this unenlightened mind is developing, we know that the unenlightened mind likes to hold on. It likes to hold things and hold things and hold things. It gets attached to things. Well, you can actually get attached to meditation where the mind has this mental longing and strong eagerness for a particular position of meditation where it only wants to sit or it only wants to sit in your bedroom or it only wants to sit in the forest. It only wants to do one thing. Well, there's been times where I've noticed that my meditation practice was going really, really well with, say, like seated meditation. And I could tell I was getting really deep meditation as part of this consistent practice. But rather than become dependent on seated meditation, I would purposely put in lying, standing or walking at different times just to kind of ensure the mind wasn't getting attached or fixated to seated meditation, one particular posture. So if the vast majority of your meditation is in one particular posture or position, you might choose to employ one of these others just to kind of train the mind not to hold on to that one particular position. And you'll really thank yourself at some point because if all you ever did was seated meditation and then someday you end up in the hospital for a week or two, well, if you've never developed lying meditation as part of your practice, then that's kind of a deficiency in your practice. Whereas if you develop that, then you've got it as part of your tools and part of your repertoire. Same thing with standing and walking. If you never develop these other positions, then you won't have them to go to when you actually need them. Because if you're getting really deep meditation, that's impermanent. It's not permanent. We know that. So you're not going to permanently be able to get results with seated meditation position. So rather than wait for a challenge to arise and then kind of struggle through it, during the times when your meditation is going really well, for example, in seated posture, seated position, integrate some lying, standing, or walking here and there throughout your week so that you start to develop that as well and you don't create a blind spot or a weakness for yourself. It's kind of like the same of always using your right hand if you're right-handed. If you keep using that all the time and you never develop the muscles in your left hand, then when you need your left hand, it's not going to be there for you. It's not going to be available. So you need to develop all four of these positions in order to have a really well-balanced and rounded out meditation practice. So be sure that you're actively doing that at different times, and it's really good for the mind to be able to do that. So let me pause here and see if there's any questions that you guys might have on anything we've been discussing related to the technique of meditation, meditation teacher, or the various positions of meditation. I have a question on YouTube from IA. Body to become heavy while meditating, even if your muscles are sustaining your position, but your mind to remain fully alert. Yes, this is very common that as the mind is awakening and you're doing meditation, you can get these various sensations where you can feel a lot of heaviness in the body uh, and you just feel very anchored and very stable, right? This is the stability, that pot with a, a stand, right? 
So that's normal. And you can also feel sometimes the opposite. You can feel lightness and you can sometimes feel the stress and the burden coming out of the body. Some people even talk about the head expanding and feeling like the size of an elephant or contracting. Or some people even talk about, you know, being able to see themselves meditating while they're actually meditating. So the mind produces all these various stimulus as part of your meditation practice. And this is kind of the unraveling of the mind. If you can think of the unenlightened mind like a ball of twine, and it's got all these feelings and emotions and experiences bound up inside this ball of twine. As you're meditating and the mind's awakening, it's like untangling this ball of twine and these feelings and experiences start to surface. And as you start letting go of more and more and more of that, you can feel certain like this heaviness or other things that are happening. And this is all completely normal. As long as you're doing meditation and continuing to do it, that will just only improve more and more. And it also is kind of an indication that the mind is becoming more stable because you feel that stableness in the body. Facebook from Bimplab. Activity of meditation affect health. If that's all you were doing was just meditating and you weren't living this balanced life. Because remember, everything that Gautama Buddha taught is all about the middle way. So the Buddha used to go out for these really long walks as part of his life. He never just meditated all the time. Most of the pictures and statues that we see that are depicting the Buddha always show him in meditation posture, like the one that I use on all the things that I do. But in reality, this Buddha didn't just sit around and meditate all the time with his aura around his head, right? He actually went places. He walked places. He traveled. He went in and out of people's houses. He went out to collect food every day. So that was part of his, whether he was thinking about that in terms of exercise or not, you know, that's kind of a newer word that we have. But he certainly talked about maintaining the physical health of the body, and that's important in order to maintain the physical health of the body because without the physical health of the body, you can't keep this mind in this life and train the mind. So the Buddha always talked about this middle way. So if you never exercised at all and you didn't do any kind of activity of walking or anything else, that wouldn't be helpful for you. But if you overdid it too, where you were always exercising and just constantly uh, worried about the physical health of the body and maybe the ego wraps around looking and perfecting the physical appearance, that wouldn't be helpful for the physical body or the mind either. So you've got to find this middle way where you're balancing things. You know, we talk about it today as a balanced lifestyle where, yes, you're meditating, but you're also finding ways to keep active and keep the body in good physical condition as well. I want to go to Boston now for a question from Zoom. Uh, there is a question here from Holly. Uh, the question says, uh, just to clarify, would you interchange the position during one meditation session or stay with one for an entire session, then choose a different one the next time you meditate? You can actually do it both ways, Holly. You can pick one meditation position and keep with it the entire time if that's what you'd like to do. Or you can switch during your meditation sessions. There's no problem with that whatsoever. Because 
Remember impermanence, right? Things are constantly changing, fixed, constant, steady state. So where some meditation teachers might advocate for you to push through the pain or things like this or don't move your physical body, I don't see a problem with that because if the body is signaling that there's pain in the body, that pain signal is there for a reason. And sitting through that could potentially be damaging ligaments or structures in the body. So it's oftentimes helpful to get up and stand or lay or walk. So depending on what you would like to do, it's a personal choice. You might sit and do a 30, 45 hour long sit and you're just fine with that or lying or standing or walking and just stick with one position. Or you might decide to switch during your meditation. Maybe you meditate for a certain period of time. You're in the seated, standing, lying, walking. And then as you're doing that, you're like, okay, let me switch to another position. And you switch to another position. This is completely normal and is something that is taught throughout the Buddhist world because this helps to develop the mind to move from one position to the other. So you don't have to just stay in one permanent fixed position or you don't have to do it just one permanent way of even switching all the time you can different ways and see what works best for you in a given situation you might go a period of time where you're doing one particular position for two three four five months and then you switch to something else and switch to something else because whatever you're doing it isn't going to be permanent. If you're doing seated and you're getting a lot of benefit out of that, there's going to be times where you're going to need to switch to something else. You're not going to be able to do just one position for your entire life always. So you might as well kind of incorporate and integrate these in different ways, either as individual sessions or using them, you know, one, two, three, four of them throughout one particular session. As, especially as we begin meditation, our practice, is there an upper limit to the amount of meditation that we should be doing? Should we be mindful perhaps of burning ourselves out? Because often when we begin this practice, we are quite interested in pursuing it. Yeah, everybody's different. You know, how long they feel is beneficial and helpful. What I've noticed is somewhere between 30 minutes to an hour is perfect for what I do where I've meditated for two, three, four, five minutes. My son walks in and says, hey, dad, I need you to take me to school. Mom's already left the house. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. Okay, I got to get up and go. But that two, three, four, five minutes, I got a little bit of benefit out of that. Or I've meditated for 45 minutes or an hour, and that's kind of like what I feel is absolute best for me. But I've also heard from people that have done eight, 10, 12 hour meditation day for multiple days at a time and they felt pretty burnt out afterwards. And meditation didn't quite have the same feeling for them. They didn't have the same motivation. They didn't have the same encouragement. They didn't feel like it had the same as it did prior to experiencing those really long eight, 10, 12 hour sessions over multiple days. But then you'll meet people that say, I would never do it any other way. You know, eight, 10, 12 hour over multiple days is absolutely the best for me. So everybody's different. And that's why 
there's this path to enlightenment, but there's not just one permanent way that everybody's going to do it. So that's why the idea is, is to have a teacher to get their perspective of what's working for them. And then you see what works for you. And you'll have to kind of see where's that sweet spot for you. As most of you know that have been studying with me for a while, I don't even time my meditations. I didn't even know how long I was meditating until recently, a couple of months ago, when I started teaching meditation online and I started looking at the clock just out of awareness for the students and making sure that I wasn't going too long and that I was sensitive to people's needs in the class. And I started looking at the clock and that's when I actually kind of realized what I was actually meditating and the length of time that I was meditating. So I don't suggest that you necessarily time it because the goal is that you go for the results of meditation. And at the end of your meditation, if you've done so much of it that you get burned out and it's no longer appealing to you, then you don't have the longevity. The goal is to meditate and have a propensity to meditate for multiple months and years throughout the course of your life, not to do this one month burst and then nothing for two or three months and then another two week burst, right? You've got to be consistent, almost like a drip feeder over a nice, steady, consistent period of time. This is going to produce the best results for you. Even with meditation, what's most important is finding our middle way. Exactly. And that's why you always bring everything back to the middle way whether it's your meditation practice or anything about home or expenses or children or your life partner. You know, if you were always with your children all the time, that's not going to work out well. Or if you were always with your life partner or if you were always focused on money or you never focused on money, right? You've got to find this middle way with not always focusing on money, but never focusing on money too. You've got to sustain your life. You can't always be spending time with your kids and you can't never spend time with your kids. You've got to find that middle way with everything, including meditation. Thanks, David. Those are all the questions we have for this time. All right. So let's move to the next thing that I was going to talk about, which are the various types of meditation. Now, these are the four different types of meditation that I teach. And that Gautama Buddha taught, at least the first three. The fourth one is something that I discovered that really worked well for me that I share, but let's go through the first three and then I'll talk to you about the fourth one as well. This first one that Gautama Buddha prioritized as being you know, the most ideal, the most important, the one that you should always be developing and working on. And the reason why we're making that the first four weeks of this program is breathing mindfulness meditation. This is where you're going to train the mind to just focus on the breath. Any thoughts or perceptions that come into the mind as the mind goes to the past or the future, you cut that off, you let it go, and you bring the mind back to the breath. This is what we're going to do today, and I'm going to instruct you and guide you exactly how to do that as part of your meditation practice today. What this is doing is it's training the mind to eliminate craving desire attachment. And this is why it's the primary method of training in Gautama Buddha's teachings. Because remember, his primary teaching is the Four Noble Truths. 
he comes back to the Four Noble Truths repeatedly throughout his teachings. And he talks about how this whole entire discipline, this whole training, this whole holy life is all about the elimination of discontent feelings, or some people say the elimination of suffering. Well, what is the cause of discontentedness? It's craving, desire, attachment. So because the whole focal point, the whole core of his teachings and discipline is discontentedness, then the whole basis and whole foundation, the whole fundamental of his path to enlightenment is the training of breathing mindfulness meditation to eliminate the cause of the discontentedness. The cause of discontentedness is that craving, desire, attachment where the mind is yearning. It has this longing and strong eagerness for things externally and it wants to pull things close and it wants to hold on to things really closely. People call this clinging or grasping or holding where the mind wants to hold on to things. It wants certain things. It expects certain things. And it wants the objects of its affection. And this is why this meditation is used, is because as you're in meditation and the mind wanders to the past, you cut it off and let it go. Bring it back to the breath. Goes to the future. You cut it off. Bring it back to the breath. Thoughts, ideas, perceptions. Cut them off. Bring it back to the breath. You let those go. Because the mind wants to hold on. That's the primary problem that is causing all the discontentedness. So that's why the primary solution is breathing mindfulness meditation. And that active, dedicated, independent, purposeful training session to either eliminate certain qualities and cultivate certain qualities, what you're eliminating here is what we call the unwholesome root of craving. Some people call it desire, attachment, greed, grasping, holding, expectations, wants, clinging. These are all English words that we use to describe this aspect of the mind where it's longing with a strong eagerness and it wants to hold on to things. And if it gets the objects of its affection, then the mind becomes happy, excited, and elated, those pleasant feelings. If it doesn't get what it wants, then it's going to experience painful feelings, sadness, anger, frustration, and the mind just keeps bouncing around painful feelings, pleasant feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant due to this unwholesome root of craving, desire, attachment. So breathing mindfulness meditation is to eliminate this quality, this aspect of the mind that is causing so much discontentedness. And what we're cultivating is we're cultivating mindfulness or awareness of mind, having awareness of mind. Because when you close the eyes and you start focusing on the breath, you become aware of the mind. You start becoming aware of the thoughts, this twine that's got all these feelings and emotions tangled up in it. You start becoming aware of those thoughts and you start to unravel it. And as the thoughts come up and the mind goes to the past or the future, the ideas or perceptions come into the mind, you let them go and you let them go and you let them go. And there's potentially a lot of chatter in your mind when you first get started and you let it go and you let it go and you keep bringing it back to the breath. You're not trying to eliminate the thoughts themselves. 
you're not trying to eliminate the thoughts. That will happen gradually over time. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to gain control over the mind. You're trying to get control of this wild animal because right now it's untrained. And by bringing the mind back to the breath and back to the breath and back to the breath, then you're going to gain more and more control and over your ability to do this. So when you first start meditating, maybe you go three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. Oh yeah, I'm meditating. Why is my mind in the past? Cut that off. Let it go. Three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. Oh yeah, I'm meditating. Cut that off. Bring it back. But what happens is this window of time, because your mindfulness, your awareness of mind becomes better and better and your ability to becomes better and better, you'll start catching it shorter. Three minutes, let it go. Two minutes, let it go. One minute, you notice it, you let it go. 30 seconds, you notice it. Cut that off, bring it back. Over the course of many, many sessions, over many months, you consistently, in a comprehensive, dedicated, purposeful way, train this mind that you can let go of these thoughts and bring it back to the breath and bring it back to the breath and bring it back to the breath. Eventually, you get to the point where you've done that so much that the mind just never wanders. It never goes to the past. It never goes to the future. It doesn't have this bombardment of thoughts and ideas and perceptions. It just stays in the middle stable, unshakable, unburdened, liberated. It just stays right there in the groove and you can just soak into the meditation, but it takes time to gradually work in that direction. And the way that you get there is whenever you notice that the mind is moving off the breath, wherever you notice it, don't feel guilty, don't feel shameful, you haven't done anything wrong, it's just the mind is untrained. So wherever you notice it, you just cut it off and bring it back to the breath. The idea here, and I wouldn't necessarily suggest you do this, but I know that you'll understand the analogy. If you were walking with a dog on a leash and the dog kept pulling you and pulling you and pulling you and you jerked back and then it kept pulling you and pulling you and pulling you and you jerked it back and it pulled you and pulled you and pulled you and you jerked it back. Right. If you kept doing this over multiple sessions, I think eventually the dog would essentially learn stop pulling. Right. It would learn to kind of just sit by your side and no longer pull. Right. I'm not saying we should train our dogs that way because it's probably harmful to the dog to keep jerking on it like that. But the analogy, you understand that the mind when it goes to the past and to the future and has all these thoughts and ideas and it's wandering and taking you to La La Land and you keep cutting it and cutting it and cutting it, letting it go, letting it go, letting it go, and you bring it back to the breath, the amount of time that it takes for your mind to catch that becomes shorter and shorter and shorter. And eventually the mind no longer wanders because you've trained it so well over a long period of time that it just stays right there in the groove in the middle and it no longer wanders in your meditation and that's where you feel and experience this utter peace this calmness this serenity this contentedness and maybe even some joy and you might get that for one second or 10 seconds in your meditation when you first start but that will start to expand more and more and more where your mind won't be wandering so much in meditation. 
but it's going to take time for you to get your arms around this and consistently train it over time. And then where this becomes beneficial is in your daily life. That when certain things happen, you get a phone call, something bad's happened, or some unfortunate news, instead of the mind going to La La Land and becoming discontent, you can cut it, you can let it go. Or if somebody cuts you off in traffic, where before the mind would hold on to this and get angry, you can cut it off and let it go. Or you hear that you didn't get that job that you had applied for and you were really interested in getting. You can cut it off and let it go. But if you never do the training, if you never do the meditation, like the Buddha said, if you become negligent, you'll regret it later because you haven't done the work. You have to put in the work in order to get the benefits. All too often, we think we should meditate once, twice, maybe one week, and everything's fixed. But that's not the way this path works. There needs to be a dedicated, consistent, long-term approach to consistently training the mind in meditation to develop this singleness of mind, bringing the mind into the present moment so that then you take the benefits of that in meditation into your daily life. And now as various things are happening, the mind's been softened up, so to speak, that it can let things go really easy. It identifies impermanence and let it go and let it go and let it go. And then the mind doesn't have this discontentedness arise. This is the to all the discontentedness in terms of craving, desire, attachment. So if somebody asks you, what's the meditation for stress? Breathing mindfulness meditation. What's the meditation for sadness? Breathing mindfulness meditation. What's the meditation for guilt or shame? Breathing mindfulness meditation. What's the breathing mindfulness meditation? What's the meditation for boredom or loneliness or shyness? Breathing mindfulness meditation. Why? Because the cause of all these discontent feelings is the same exact thing. Craving, desire, attachment, these wants, expectations, this grasping, holding, clinging. So that's why you only need to learn this one to get started with as a foundation. You don't need individual meditations for all these individual feelings because what's producing or what's causing all of these individual feelings, like we talked about on Sunday, is the same thing. It's that craving, desire, attachment, that mental longing where the mind's longing with a strong eagerness and it wants to hold things so tightly, that strong eagerness to just hold things and want things. So by training the mind with this particular meditation, you're going to be solving a whole range of problems. But it's not just training the mind. It's not just that purposeful, dedicated, independent, active training session that you need to do. You need to get up off your mat or your cushion or wherever you're meditating. And now you need to have singleness of mind in your daily life where you're only ever focused on one thing at a time. And you'll get better and better at holding this benefit for longer and longer periods of time where you won't kind of digress from your meditation session. And this is one of the reasons why meditating morning, midday, and evening is really great if you can. 
But if you're not there and you just start with one of those, that's fine. Or you get two of those, that's fine. Because if you're meditating morning, midday, and evening, there's only so much that can kind of go wrong in between there, right? So if you really apply some good effort, then you can clean up the mind just like you clean up the body and ensure that you're moving throughout your day with this really nice, peaceful mind where you've cultivated this awareness of mind. And now when something happens and you feel that bit of frustration starting to arise, you have that awareness because you've cultivated it in meditation. You've eliminated the mind's wanting to hold on over the course of many, many months and years, but you've also cultivated this awareness of mind so that when you feel that tingling in the body of anger or frustration starting to come, ah, you notice that because awareness of mind, cut it off. And you'll get really good at that, at cutting that off and cutting that off and cutting that off. And over time, just like your mind comes into the middle during meditation, in your daily life by you cutting off that anger before it pollutes the mind or cut off that guilt before it pollutes the mind or you cut off that loneliness or boredom before it pollutes the mind by you cutting that off and never allowing it to get to the mind then the mind can reside peaceful calm serene content with joy eventually you do this so much in meditation in your daily life over a consistent period of time that those feelings never arise anymore. You get to the point where the anger, the frustration, the guilt, the shame, the boredom, the loneliness, it never actually arises because you fully eliminated and dissolved this unwholesome root of craving. You've gone to the root of the tree. You've rooted it out and the ground is no longer disturbed because you've gotten rid of this unwholesome root. And the way that you do that is through breathing mindfulness meditation. Any questions on this particular type of meditation? So we're going to go to Basim. Here from Manal, uh, she asks, uh, could meditation ever come in the form of a piece of wisdom realized? Or would this is also need to be gently cut off and the mind brought back to breath? Okay, so after you do everything that I just described, and you're doing that for a consistent period of time where you're meditating, focusing on the breath, the mind wanders, becomes less and less and less, and you get to this middle where the mind is just peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy for extended periods of time in your meditation and outside of your meditation in your daily life because you've cleaned up your life practice. What starts to happen is accumulated on this path to awaken the mind is already there on board, but you start getting these wholesome thoughts. You start getting certain ideas and certain wisdom. Okay. This is why the goal of meditation isn't to eliminate thoughts because you're going to have occasional thoughts. Even when your mind is enlightened, you're going to have occasional thoughts in meditation, but the pollution is out of the way. You've taken care of the three unwholesome roots, which we haven't fully described yet because we're just getting started in this program, but you've eliminated all these three unwholesome roots. You've eliminated the 10 fetters. The mind is purified now and it's perfectly in the middle over a consistent period of time. What you're going to notice is you're going to start getting wisdom. 
you're going to start getting ideas. You're going to start getting thoughts. You're going to start getting ideas of your life and improve the life of your family, things like this. And you can't grab onto these. And by that point, you will have been training the mind pretty well. So it'll be easy for you to let them go. You still need to focus on the breath. And this is why I talk about a purposeful, dedicated, independent training session where you're eliminating certain qualities or cultivating certain qualities, eliminating craving, cultivating mindfulness. But as these wise thoughts start coming into the mind in meditation, you've got to let them go and let them go and let them go and just know that they're still going to be there when you're done with meditation. Because by this point, well developed that you've got memory, you've got clarity of thought, you've got focus, you've got concentration, you've really developed the mind and it's really optimized in the middle. So by letting the thoughts go, even the wholesome thoughts in meditation, it keeps you focused on that dedicated, active, independent, purposeful training session and ensure that you're moving that forward. But then when you're done with meditation, if that idea came up and it's still there, then you can act upon it. Or you've cleaned out the mind so well in meditation and you've done such a good job developing this singleness of mind and cleaning up your life practice outside of meditation that now you're just sitting at a bus stop or you're just walking down the street and these good, wholesome thoughts and ideas pop into the head about things you can do for your family, certain trips you can take, maybe a business idea, maybe a way to help your neighbors or help your parents. Yeah, you can act upon that. And that's where the enlightened mind becomes so beneficial. Not only have you eliminated this discontentedness, all of this unwholesomeness, all of this pollution, and all of that's cleared out from the mind, but now this is where I say the rest of your life kind of just begins once you attain enlightenment, because now you get all this benefits of having cultivated this mind and trained this mind, not only do you get the focus, the concentration, the clarity of mind, and the deep memorization, not only do you get the elimination of discontentedness, no longer experiencing any of those painful feelings and all those other things that burden the mind, but you get this wisdom that starts coming from a wholesome place and you no longer have fears, you're no longer shy, you no longer feel guilty, you know that your mind is purified, and now you have the wisdom of the Buddhist teachings that now you can act upon this and turn it into something really good and really wonderful, right? You can improve your life through better life decisions, and your life decisions are no longer tainted with the three unwholesome roots, that craving, anger, and ignorance are unknowing of true reality. Those 10 fetters, your decisions now are coming from a purified mind. So that means all your decisions are wholesome. So therefore, all the results that you're getting are all going to be wholesome. And this is where your life just takes on a whole new world because you're now experiencing lots and lots of wholesomeness because your decisions are coming from a wholesome, purified mind. And about carrying over singleness of mind from our meditation practice to our daily life, 
is this something that happens naturally as we continue to meditate or are there things that we can be doing to facilitate this process? You need to take active steps. This is part of the mental discipline of the Eightfold Path, that right effort, where you take the effort to eliminate certain unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities. So for things like I talked about, like if you know right now that you watch TV and you eat food, you got to stop doing that. And it doesn't mean you have to go cold turkey or whatever, unless you want, but you need to gradually move to the point where when you're watching TV, you're watching TV. When you're eating, you're eating, right? You're not watching TV on the computer and eating at the same time. Or some people will eat and kind of surf the web on their phone. This is taking the mind in two different directions. So none of this stuff is necessarily going to happen real natural. There's got to be active effort put behind it. So if you're finding yourself not doing one thing at a time at any given one time, even though your mind's really only doing one thing at a time, if you're involved in multiple activities, tricking the mind, it's doing more than one thing then you've got to identify that with your own wisdom and then clean up your practice. That's why I call this developing your life practice. The Buddha went as far as saying, you know, when you're urinating, be sure you're urinating. When you're defecating, be sure you're defecating. And this is where I think it's so funny that there's a lot of people on the toilet looking at their smartphones these days. But we also know that a lot of those fall into the toilet. Why? Because people don't have concentration. And that's their gamma. That's the result of their decisions, that they're not focused. They drop their phone, it falls in the water, and now they've destroyed a phone potentially if it's not waterproof. So you've got to get really good at observing when the mind isn't singularly focused and then actively move it to be singularly focused. So if you're in a business meeting or like right now in class, if I'm talking and your mind is somewhere else, You've got to identify that and bring it back. Or if right now you're in class and you're also chit-chatting with somebody else or chatting, you know, doing something else where you notice that you've got to clean that up as part of your life practice. So wherever you notice it, you've got to apply the effort to just do one thing at a time. And this is where meditation, when you're meditating, what are you doing? Focused on the breath, breathing mindfulness meditation, focus on the breath, focus on the breath. If you can train the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, just with nothing focused on the breath. Well, when you're walking in the park, looking at the birds and looking at the lake, wow, like this is all wonderful because my mind's already content when you're, when you're meditating or if you're doing walking meditation and you're just staring at one meter or two meters in front of you, and you can train the mind to be utterly peaceful just looking at that spot and walking around and around and around for multiple days, multiple weeks, multiple months of doing this. Well, when you're talking with a friend, you're gonna have such clarity in your friend or your boss or your coworkers are gonna be like, wow, whenever I talk to James, he's just so engaged he's just always focused on what I, what we're talking about he's always well thought he puts his thoughts together he's very purposeful in how he speaks he doesn't have this idle chatter they might not use those words but they're you know people are going to notice your practice that's why it's the natural laws of existence 
is that these are things that the Buddha identified as being beneficial for one's life. So even though people aren't on the path to enlightenment, when they're around you, and these people have no idea about the Buddha whatsoever, when they're around you and they see you have focus, concentration, clarity of mind, deep memory, you have this singleness of mind where you're engaged in the conversation and it's not wondering, when you have purposeful speech that is gentle and doesn't harm others and it's truthful, these are all the natural laws that when people interact with this kind of person, it's like, wow, this person, yeah, I enjoy working with this person. Like, hey, we need somebody for this project. Get that guy, James. He's always right on top of things and he's really easy to work with. Let's get that guy. So that's where your practice, your life practice, starts to benefit you in life in terms of your personal and professional relationships. And it all stems from you know, learning this path and walking this path to train the mind to come more and more in line with the natural laws of existence. It's not possible to meditate during our daily activities. It is very important that we stay mindful during them. Yes, and this is where another is that people think that you should be meditating all day long. It's not possible for you to meditate while you're walking around, you're driving a car, you're walking the dog. What people are actually talking about is they should be practicing mindfulness all day long, awareness of mind. So when you're walking the dog, you should do that with awareness of mind. Or when you're gardening, yeah, you should do that with awareness of mind. You should do everything with awareness of mind. The Buddha's words on this is he said, mindfulness is always useful. He said it's always useful. But it's important that we understand what mindfulness is. And we're going to talk about this too when we get to... Because this word mindful or mindfulness is being used in common modern day language and people are misunderstanding it as well. The way that I describe and define mindfulness or mindful is awareness of mind just aware of the mind, aware of the thoughts, aware of the feelings, aware of the perceptions, aware of the truths, the false truths, and you're aware of the anger arising, or you're aware of the peacefulness, you're aware of the complacency, you're aware of the anxiety, you're aware of the mind, right? Where you'll see most people using this is they're inserting mindful for careful. Someone might say, Oh, here's a glass of water. Now carry that very mindfully. Or be mindful when you carry the water. Or I'm going to be sleeping tonight when you come home. Be mindful when you come in the door. What people are really saying is be careful, right? They just aren't understanding the word mindful. And that's fine because this word is just starting to penetrate kind of modern culture and starting to get into our vocabulary. But when you hear, TV or you hear it in everyday life, just understand that the vast majority of the world, from my experience, seems to be using it in terms of careful rather than awareness of mind. But we're not trying to change everybody else. It's important that you understand what mindfulness means or mindful means. What it means is awareness of mind. And you cultivate that in meditation and then you use it 
in all parts of your life so that you're constantly aware of the mind because how could you eliminate these discontent feelings? How could you cut these discontent feelings off before they pollute the mind if you weren't aware of them? So if you're not aware of that anger or you're not aware of that frustration or that guilt or that boredom starting to arise, if you weren't aware of it, how could you cut it off? So by developing awareness of mind in meditation and then practicing awareness of mind called mindfulness all day long, then when those feelings starting to arise, you can cut them off and let them go. And the sooner you do that and the better you get at that, the more developed the mind's going to become. We have no more questions at this time. All right, let's move on to the second type of meditation that everybody needs. These two are the only two that you need. And you see there with breathing mindfulness meditation, the reason why that's the only one you need for discontentedness is because of all discontentedness is craving desire attachment. So you don't need multiple meditations. Well, the second meditation that the Buddha prescribed as being the second best, most highest quality thing that you can do for your entire life is loving kindness meditation. And we're going to be talking about this next month because I would like you to develop your breathing mindfulness meditation first. Loving kindness meditation is designed to completely approach and address a whole nother aspect of the mind, which is hatred, anger, and ill will. This is where the mind looks out for enemies. It doesn't like people who disagree with you and you push them away and you create this wall between you and other people. This is ill will. And we're going to teach this. So I'm not going to actually go into actually how to do this today. The mindfulness meditation a little bit because we're going to actually do it. But with loving kindness meditation, just know that it's a second form of meditation. It addresses the second poison, which is this hatred, anger, ill will, the second unwholesome root this second fire where the mind wants to push things away, it becomes angry, it becomes frustrated. And we're going to talk even more about what this poison is so that you can identify it. But just know that that's a second meditation that you're going to need to develop as part of your practice. Then in addition to those two, those are the two primary that everybody on the path to enlightenment are going to need. In addition to those, there's these other two that are kind of like specialized meditations that only certain people are going to need. And one of them is what I call meditation to eliminate sexual craving. This is something that the Buddha taught during his lifetime because some people have a, a more and more difficult or more challenging time to let go of sexual cravings. And if you decide to progress really far on this path, there's a point in time where you need to thin your sexual cravings and you can still reside in the first and second stage of enlightenment, having thinned your sexual cravings. But if you would like to ultimately attain enlightenment, moving into the third and fourth stage of enlightenment at some point when or if in the future, you would need to completely eliminate sexual cravings at some point if you chose to do that when or if you chose to do that. And there's a meditation here where we actually stare at a dead corpse or a picture of a dissected body in order to develop what the Buddha called the unattractiveness of the body. 
because the reason why we have sexual cravings is because we don't see true reality. We don't see the body as it truly is. We see this outer layer of skin and we don't really see true reality. So the way to eliminate the mind's attractiveness to this outside shell is to develop the unattractiveness of the body. And we do that through meditating on a corpse or a dissected body, either real in flesh or images and pictures of that. And then eventually you get to realizing non-self, which we talked a little bit about last session. Well, there's a lot of groundwork that you need to do to prepare the mind to even get to the point where you're ready to realize non-self or you've gradually been working in that direction. Depending on where you are in that development, there's some people that really benefit from using this meditation to realize non-self, to eliminate the self. And it's a specialized type of meditation that I on my own and I realized that it was really helpful for me. And I teach it to people as they get closer and closer to being interested to realize non-self. And there's people that have benefited from this as well. So as you're working closely with the teacher, by the time you're getting to the point of realizing non-self, you should be working very closely and have developed a bit of a relationship. So we'll talk about that and help you to develop that once you're at that point. And it's kind of based on the loving kindness meditation. It's very similar to that. So by you learning the first two, introducing you to this one will be really easy to do. Some of these, you know, not too thoroughly because we'll talk about these at a future class session, but just to kind of talk about start in terms of conducting your meditation session. Some of these we've already talked about a little bit, but I just included this because I wanted to kind of give you a bit of a thorough talk because this is our first talk about meditation to kind of get you ready for developing this practice. The first thing is that we talked about how the mind is the boss and the body's the employee. And if you understand that, then you know not to make the body too comfortable, too luxurious, because you need to use the body to access the boss. Okay. And then the Buddha taught before meditation, you should set up mindfulness in front of you. Mindfulness is that awareness of mind. Setting up mindfulness is to start to become aware of the mind. And the way that I do this is I will typically go to the bathroom, kind of empty all the organs. I will kind of relax the body and start chanting and kind of ease the mind into meditation as a way to start becoming aware of the mind and aware of the breath. And I'll teach you chanting in this program at a later time. But between now and then, you can also use other things. You know, some people might go to the bathroom like I do, use empty out the, the organs. You might decide to do a little bit of stretching or kind of loosening up of the body. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to just kind of rush into the house, plop all your stuff down and just jump into meditation, right? This wouldn't be setting up mindfulness in front of you. You want to kind of gradually ease the mind into meditation because the mind's either going to want to fight you or it's going to want to run, usually when you first start looking to develop a meditation session. It's either going to sit there and fight you and justify all the reasons why you shouldn't meditate, or it's going to want to run in the other direction and go play on social media or go do all these other things rather than actually make the decision to meditate. 
you've got to make that decision to meditate easier and easier. It needs to become easier and easier for you to make that decision to slip into a meditation session. And one of the ways to do that is rather than sit there and fight the mind or allow it to run away from you, is just to realize you need to gradually ease the mind into meditation by developing some awareness of mind rather than just plop into meditation. In terms of timing your meditation, I don't suggest that you time your meditation. I suggest you just meditate and whatever time it is, it is. You don't need to look at the clock. You don't need to set an alarm. You're going for the results here. You're not comparing your meditation from one person to the next. It doesn't really matter how long you meditate, although the closer you get to about 30 minutes, the benefits increase. But as you're building up to that, if you set that as your goal and you fall short of it, you might feel guilty or shameful. And that's not the goal at all. So you just meditate without setting in a time. Or if you set a time and you're actually getting a lot of benefit and the alarm goes off, well, now you've got to stop in order to turn off the alarm when you could have actually gotten a lot more benefit. So no reason to set the alarm or time them your meditation because the mind's just going to be sitting there. Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? So I don't suggest you time your meditation and just know that it's something you need to do each day and work on expanding it more and more and more. The frequency of your meditation is all going to depend on you. Gautama Buddha meditated three times a day and you will notice that if you do this, it absolutely has the best effect on the mind. But you may not be able to do that right out of the gate and you might not be able to do that every single day. Most likely won't because of impermanence. So just get comfortable with knowing that you need to meditate every day. And if you can build up to two or three meditation sessions a day and you happen to miss one, well, okay, you still got two or you still got one, but you have a propensity to be meditating each individual day and you're working on that more and more. Now, as you build this up, if you go a day or two and you've forgotten, again, don't feel guilty. Don't beat yourself up. Don't feel shameful. Nobody's judging you. Just realize, oh, I forgot to meditate. Let me get going with that and let me start doing that. So you're just building this up gradually, gradually, more and more and more, never putting pressure on yourself that you got to do it because then it becomes a real chore. Ease into it and gradually ramp it up. I don't suggest that you schedule your meditations because once again, if you schedule 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. every day to meditate, then eventually that's not permanent at the exact same time every day. So why really set a hard fixed schedule? Because when you miss it, you're going to probably become discontent, feeling shameful or guilty or otherwise, maybe even angered. But you can have a generalized idea. Okay, morning and evening, I'm going to meditate and that's going to be my plan, right? And then you actively work towards that. And if you miss or skip or you wake up a little bit late one day and you can't meditate, then okay, I'll just get to it this afternoon or I'll get to it this evening. Don't beat yourself up. Meditation is like scooping water in a bucket. The mind is thirsty. It wants this water. You need to be scooping water for the years. You're going to be scooping water your whole life. So if you are ramping up this practice and you miss a day here or there when you first get started, 
look for the longevity. Look at the long term. It's not about that you missed one or two days. It's that you would like to build up this practice where you're developing a long-term, comprehensive, dedicated approach to it. So don't and be like, ah, I missed two days. What's three more, right? Don't do that. But at the same time, don't beat yourself up and feel guilty. Once again, find that middle where you're actively working towards the goal, which is a daily meditation practice of two or three times a day. During meditation. And if you notice this, then it could be that you just need rest and you need to sleep. So be sure you're getting good sleep. And you might want to move the time that you meditate around, morning, afternoon, evening, kind of moving it around different times and ensuring that you find the appropriate time to meditate. But as your mind awakens, it's interesting that as you start training the mind in these teachings, the mind becomes very sleepy. When the Buddha was teaching during his lifetime, there was actually a lot of people that fell asleep during his discourses. We would kind of see that as rude, but the Buddha understood that that's actually part of the awakening process, that you're carrying around this burden of craving, desire, attachments, and all the other fetters and unwholesome roots, that when you start laying down the burden, the mind becomes sleepy. It's like carrying you know, 500 pounds or 500 kilos around. If you did that for many, many lifetimes, when you start laying down this burden, the mind's going to become pretty sleepy. So don't be surprised if, especially when you first get going for the first couple of months, that the mind becomes very sleepy during meditation. This is normal. And just allow the mind to sleep and go get some rest, even if it's only been 5, 10, 15 minutes, just get some rest. But also, if you are doing that for a while and you're just not getting the meditation in that you need and you're noticing that the mind keeps becoming sleepy, this is where you can also use those other positions. You can do standing or you can do walking as a way to kind of wake up the mind and keep it out of that sleepiness and ensure that you're getting the training that you need for your meditation. While you're meditating, you may get physical sensations like little tickles or itches or you know, a mosquito or fly might come in and kind of your skin and you need to itch them, go ahead and itch them. But over time, what you're going to be able to practice is train the mind that these little sensations in the body are impermanent. And rather than continuing to itch them right away, because then another one's just going to crop up and another one and another one, when you notice the sensation is coming up in the body, just keep the mind focused on the breath. And maybe initially you do that for four seconds or eight seconds, and then you got to itch. But then each time you do it, try to make that time longer and longer and longer where you notice that that little itch or that little sensation is impermanent. And notice how you can control the mind and keep it fixated on the breath. This is very good for the training of the mind. Because when that little sensation comes up on the skin or a fly comes in and starts crawling around your neck, if you can get to the point where you have mental discipline to focus on the breath, even with these various bodily sensations coming about, and you can just maintain your focus and maintain your focus right on the breath, not even disturbed by this, and you just train the mind, this is impermanent, this is impermanent, this is impermanent, and just keep the mind focused on the breath. This is very good for you that when you're in daily life and something happens, it will be really well soaked into the mind 
This is impermanent. This is impermanent. Let it go. Let it go. Don't focus on that sensation. Let it go. Let it go. Focus on the breath. So as these sensations come up in the body, use them as a way to better train the mind and get more and more and more time where you don't have to itch that sensation. And then lastly, there's certain external stimulus that some of us might use during our meditation that I encourage you to start stripping away. If you're using gongs or candles or mala beads or music or any of these kind of things, those things have led you to where you are now and you've gotten a certain amount of benefit out of them. But what you really would like to build up to is where your meditation practice is just the body, the mind, and the breath. That it's not dependent on having mala beads. It's not dependent on music. It's not dependent on a candle cushion or blanket, right? You've got to get to the point where your mind isn't attached to anything at all. Body, mind, and breath. You're going to have these three things with you all the way until death. But everything else around you, you're not going to have with you in this life. So get to the point where you slowly start stripping these things out of your practice and you just get to the point where it's body, mind, and breath. And this will help the mind to let go and you're going to be constantly stripping away, stripping away, stripping away until eventually you're at nothing, emptiness. And that's where the mind becomes peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. It's like stripping away this onion where you're stripping away layer after layer after layer after layer and eventually you get to the middle and it's empty. There's no core. Right. So not only do you need to strip away your craving, desire, attachments and all other parts of your life, but even in your meditation practice, if you've got things there, you need to strip those away gradually over time. So let me see what questions you guys have. Session. Do you think as we begin our practice, it can be important or useful to have a dedicated area to meditate? I think when you first start, I would say that at least for these first four weeks, if you have the same location, you know, go ahead and go to the same location and meditate, you know, for these first four, maybe even eight weeks or or even 12 weeks. The mind's going to get hooked on this, but it's okay because it's probably hooked on a lot of things. But allow it to just go ahead and experience meditation and get used to going into that same environment to meditate. There's a lot of research that shows this, like when you're studying for college or a certain exam, if you sit at the same desk, at the same chair, it'll kind of turn on the mind and activate the mind to study that content and retain it. Well, meditation is the same way. If you have the same place where you go and you kind of, the mind knows, all right, game time, let's go. You know, game time, let's, let's go, meditation time. You know, no, no messing around. So you'll do that for maybe four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. But then eventually you want to get to the point where your mind isn't even attached or fixated or craving the same location because you can't meditate in the same place permanently. So if you've been meditating for a while, then you want to start moving your mind around into different environments, different temples, different parks, different settings, in the sunshine, in the rain, 
you know, near traffic in a cave, complete quiet in the mountains, you know, this becomes fun. It becomes really enjoyable to move the mind around and let it experience all this impermanence of different sounds, different smells, different wind flow, different sunshine. And this can further help to develop the mind to become more and more stable as it gets comfortable with this impermanence. But as you move the mind around, it probably won't like it initially. But then as you do it more and more, it'll become more and more comfortable with that. Looks like we're ready for meditation. Okay, so I'm going to go back to full screen so that we can just go into meditation. And once again, we won't do very long today because we're just getting started. But just to kind of take you into meditation, give you some guidance, and then bring us out of meditation before we end with kind of final questions and things like that. So take your position wherever that is, either on a cushion, maybe get some cushions under your rear, get that up really high because you would like to reduce the angle between your hip and your knees and your ankles because if that's really constricted, then you don't have as much circulation flow. So if you're on the floor and you're not comfortable on the floor, you might need to put some pillows or something under your rear to lessen that angle at the hip, your knees and your ankle. If you're in a chair, your feet might just be flat on the floor or crossed at the ankles. Up to you. It's not about everybody doing it exactly the same because this physical body is impermanent and everybody's going to do it a little bit differently. If at any point during the meditation you feel pain, just move the body or shift the body and get to a point where you don't feel the pain anymore. The upper body, you should elongate the spine and engage the muscles so that you're not leaning up against a chair or leaning up against a wall, but you're actually supporting, self-supporting the upper body. Now, if you're older or you have problems with your back and you need to lean back just a little bit in order to touch the chair or the wall just to give that little, then go ahead and do that. But don't just kind of slouch, right? But you don't want to be slouched either. So engage those muscles to keep the employee comfortable, but not luxurious. We need to activate the employee so that we can get to the boss, the mind. Arms, Gautama Buddha put his right hand on top of his left and he put his thumbs together and then he put all of that in his lap. If that works for you, use it if it's comfortable. But again, it's not about everyone doing it exactly the same. So if you need to put your hands flat on your thighs or on your knees, or you want to put palms up or things like this, or maybe your arms on the armrest of a chair, go for it. It's about comfortable, but not luxurious. Okay? In whatever position feels comfortable. Close the eyes. And now... Breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Just some nice natural breaths. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Your breath doesn't have to sync up to my cueing. You breathe whatever pace is comfortable for you. 
My guidance is just guidance, just to help you remember to breathe in and out. Here at the beginning, you're just establishing a nice, natural breath. You're not trying to do anything specific. You're just relaxing the mind, breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. At some point, as you're breathing in and out, you'd like to bring your awareness of mind to the breath. The mind should be focused on the sound of the breath or the sensation of the air entering into the nose. So as you're breathing in, you should hear that sound and focus the mind on the breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in. and out. So now the mind is starting to fixate on the breath, the sound or sensation. This is the present moment. The breath is the present moment. So fixate the mind there. I'm going to be quiet just for about a minute or two and let you start getting comfortable with just focusing on the breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Now as you're breathing and focusing on the breath, mind's going to want to wander to the past or to the future. Thoughts, ideas, perceptions, wherever you notice that, at whatever point you notice it, just cut it off, let it go, and bring the mind back to the breath. 
breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. As the mind wanders, you haven't done anything wrong. No need to feel guilty or shameful. This is just the unenlightened mind, the untrained mind. The goal is to get rid of all that chatter by focusing on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. The mind wants to hold on. It may even want to hold on to this voice. But I'm going to be quiet so that you can just focus on the breath. Developing awareness of mind. Wherever you notice the mind wanders, cut that off and bring it back to the breath, focusing on the sound or sensation, breathing in and out. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath.
here if you guys would like to gradually start easing out a meditation start with a chant and end with a chant but I'm just kind of easing you guys into the way that I typically meditate so these chants we'll talk about them at another time but just keep in mind that they're not prayer they're not mystical or magical or anything like this but it just kind of helps to ease the mind into meditation and out of meditation. That's what I'll share right now. But later, I will share a lot more depth about what we're doing when we're chanting. So let's see what questions you guys have about meditation or anything you experienced or anything that we talked about today. Bob, he asks, Sir, can I meditate with my eyes open? Is it necessary to have one's eyes closed in meditation. What is the benefit of closed eye meditation? Yeah, it's not required that you meditate with your eyes closed. There's some meditations that you do meditate with your eyes open, 
The benefit of meditating with your eyes closed is you shut down one of the doorways to discontentedness. One of the things that you will learn is that this craving, desire, attachment that the mind has where there's longing and strong eagerness, it's longing through the six doorways or essentially the five senses and then the mind is also another one. So by closing the eyes, you're shutting down one of those doorways. But if you like to meditate with your eyes open, you can. It's just that, you know, you've got that doorway open. So if somebody walks in front of you or a cat or whatever, there's just something walking in front of you. But that can be to stay focused on the actual breath during meditation. If you're doing walking meditation or you're doing meditation on the unattractiveness of the body to eliminate sexual cravings. We normally do this with our eyes open. So there are meditations that we do with the eyes open, and you could do that here if you like. And what I always suggest is try it both ways, multiple times. Do it for a week or two with your eyes closed. Do it with a week or two with your eyes open. See what feels right. See how one works in one situation, one works in another situation, then you know the truth, right? I'm sharing with you my perspective, but that's my perspective based on my practice. Don't just believe and take what I say at face value. Figure it out for yourself. Practice, 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 so you can see the truth and what's working in certain situations and what's not working in certain situations. Here's you've answered all of our questions for today. I would just like to say a quick thanks to Bassam for helping out with moderating today. Yeah, thanks, Bassam, all the way from Egypt and James in South Carolina. Appreciate you guys taking your time and effort to do that. It's very generous of you. And uh, appreciate all the rest of you guys joining as well. I would like to just end on this last thing that I was interested to share with you guys, which is in terms of your meditation practice, never give up. It's important that you don't ever, 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 ever give up because this discontent mind that you have and you're working towards this enlightened mental state. Meditation, remember, isn't the only aspect of this path that you need to learn and develop and cultivate, but you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment where you've eliminated these discontent feelings without meditation either. So I've heard people say sometimes when they first start meditating, oh, my mind's too busy. I can't do that meditation stuff. I'm not going to do it. And they give up. But that's the exact reasons why they should be meditating is because their mind's busy with a lot of chatter. So don't give up just because the mind's busy. Or if you're noticing that you go a couple of weeks and you have really deep kind of what you feel is a beneficial massage session, and then your mind goes back to being chattery for a while, don't give up because of that. That just shows you the impermanence of the mind, how it goes up and down and up and down and up and down. If you give up, you're never going to experience this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. So the people who are really successful on this path are people who develop this consistent habit of long-term meditation over years not just a couple of months or a couple of weeks. So if you've been meditating in the past and you've kind of fallen out of it and now you're getting back into it, wonderful, keep that going. If you've been meditating for a few months 
and you've just been getting going, don't ever give up. Or if you've been meditating for many, many years at this point, try these things that I'm sharing with you. Keep learning the teachings that I'm sharing with you because if the mind is not yet enlightened, there's things that you're missing in your practice. And your practice needs to be impermanent. If you stay fixated on the things that you're currently doing and you know that you're not enlightened, then you're just holding on to what it is that you're currently doing. Your practice has to remain impermanent where you're constantly looking for what's next to improve your practice and develop this life practice. Because if you just remain holding on to what you're currently doing and you know the mind is not yet enlightened, then if you keep holding on to that stuff and you never allow new things to come in, then you're not going to progress in your practice. You need to progress in your practice. So never, ever, ever, ever give up. And remember the Buddha's words, meditate students, do not be negligent, lest you will regret it later. This is my instruction to you. So just like he's speaking from the dead over 2,500 years ago, just as if he was speaking from the dead, let those words ring in the mind. In those difficult periods where you're on the fence, and you're not quite sure whether to meditate or not, and you're kind of thinking about just dozing off, or you're just thinking about, you know, going, you know, back on social media or whatever. Remember, meditate, students. Do not be negligent, lest you will regret it later. This is my instruction to you. So I really appreciate that you've joined. I really am pleased to know that you're decided to learn and practice these teachings. Now, take what I'm sharing with you here as breathing mindfulness meditation and implement that in a daily basis over multiple days. And each Wednesday, we're going to be deepening this more and more. So now that you've kind of gotten a good dose of the meditation teachings today, next Wednesday, I'm just going to say hello, welcome, whatever I say, and then we're just going to go right into meditation, right? So now each Wednesday, we'll just go right into meditation because you already got this, right? So if you're practicing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, then when you come back on Wednesday, it's meditating together as a group. And then you've got this open forum to ask any questions of what's been going on during your last week with meditation. Now, if you aren't interested to wait for the online class, that's where you post a question online, you private message or schedule an appointment so that you can get some help you know, early in your week and you can further develop your practice. But you've got to see the truth for yourself. You've got to move these teachings that I just share with you into practice. If you do nothing and you're negligent or complacent, you're not going to observe the benefits to the improvement to the condition of the mind. So you've got to move this now into practice. So have fun with it. Enjoy. Reach out as you need help. And I'll see you either on Sunday where we're going to be talking about right speech, right action, right livelihood, that moral conduct of the Eightfold Path, really deepening that. Or next Wednesday when we'll be doing meditation together. And perhaps I'll see you both of those days. So in the meantime, have a really lovely rest of your day. And we'll talk to you later. Sawadee 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.